Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave. I'm Richard. And this is our special episode where we are, I was going to say reviewing Joker, but really it's more about just having a conversation about the movie Joker. Yes, because I don't think either of us actually know what we think about it yet. So. <laughs> and we have a few points to make that I think go a little bit deeper than just reviewing it. So we are, of course, talking about Todd Phillips' new movie, Joker, mm-hmm. starring Joaquin Phoenix. Yep. And look, the same as we've done for our other movie conversations, we'll have a quick chat about what we thought, spoiler free, then mm-hmm. we'll bring the spoiler curtain down, the uh, as we now call it, the Tom Holland spoiler curtain, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll have a slightly more, well, hopefully a lot more in-depth conversation. Gotham has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that my life was a tragedy. But now I realize... It's a comedy. So, first up, Richard, did you enjoy Joker? I certainly enjoyed it. I think I'm still processing some of it. And as we said at the top, I'm not 100% actually what I thought of it yet. I will say, Akeem Phoenix, he is great. Uh, Whatever else you may or may not take away from the movie, he is really, really good. Yeah, that is an excellent performance. I certainly have a huge amount of respect for the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I walked out of the movie very impressed. I, I yep. walked out of the movie, frankly, and, and having thought about it since, there's nothing there that I would change. There's no actor I think didn't give a good performance. No, there's no, true. There's no plot thread that I think was was unnecessary. I, I thought it all made sense, but we'll, we'll talk more about that. Probably not unnecessary. There's maybe a few things I, I think the movie perhaps wanted to say, but didn't or didn't perhaps do properly. Look, that's fair. It certainly wasn't a movie like, for example, Endgame or even Spider-Man. Oh, God, no. This is not a superhero movie No, it's not. And and it's not one of those movies where you walk in and just go, like, punch the air. Wow, that was was really cool. That was really fun. I want to see that again. Mm. It's, It's not that kind of a movie. Well, this ain't that kind of movie. The other thing I'll say is at no point did I look at my watch. Uh, no, likewise. I was absolutely absorbed in this movie and mm-hmm. and most of it was, as you say, Phoenix's performance. Yeah, for sure. Is it what you expected? Because we'd seen the trailers and so Richard, I remember someone in our fan chat group yep. sending around the trailer to Joker when it first came out and just all going, wow, this trailer is not what we expected a Joker solo movie to be when actually now far more interested than I think we were before we saw the trailer. Yes, the movie we didn't know we wanted. That's yes. right. <laughs> Having seen the movie, is it what you expected out of the trailer? The trailer, in some ways, didn't give away very much at all. No. In, in another way, though, it did, because we do see probably Arthur Fleck's situation in the trailer. And I, without sort of going into spoiler territory, look, I mean, we see him being beaten up. We see him clearly suffering. We see that he is an outsider, that sort of thing. And that obviously he goes through some form of transformation perhaps isn't the right word, but eventually he will become Joker. So from that angle, yes, I think that probably is what we I was expecting, but certainly how it got there, no. No, the journey was very different to what I expected. Yeah. And there was a lot of extra stuff in the movie that I hadn't been expecting. And full credit to the studio and to yeah. Phillips for having 
and I think it's quite rare these days, the courage to not put some of that stuff in mm. the trailer and let it be a genuine surprise. Yep. And I think a big aspect of that is how it's connected with some of the rest of the DC world, but we'll talk about that in the spoiler space. Yes. The final sort of narrative point that I want to make before we go into the spoiler territory is one thing that I've really noticed in this movie that I don't think has necessarily been as big a part of the discussion as I think it should be is that this was a comic book world just as much as, for example, Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin yeah. was a comic book world. Yeah, for sure. Very different types of comic books. But in, in Schumacher's Batman movies, which, look, I'm very fond of, I've got mm. to say. I'm a big, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy those movies. In Schumacher's movies, he creates a Gotham City that is straight out of the pages of a really weird and wacky cartoon world with big exotic buildings and yeah. funny angles and, and all that sort of thing. This world in Joker is just as much a created world pulled out of the pages of a comic book. It's a much darker comic book. Yes, it's more Alan Moore, yep. um, I, I think, or even uh, someone like Mark Miller, I think, than, than, uh, <laughs> than anything light. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just as much a constructed comic world yes. in, in which you can put these characters. Mm-hmm. And so I think that some of the inferences that people are taking from it actually miss the point that this is a fabricated comic world. We'll, again, explore that more on the other side of uh, the Tom Holland spoiler space. But, look, it has been very, very successful. At the time of recording, it has made $280 million worldwide. Yeah, well, I think the projections were that it was certainly going to break 100 mil opening weekend. It so... got just short of that in the US. Oh, it was just short. It was, was it? just okay. short of 90-something. There you go. But it did break the records for an October release. Now, not one wanted to sell it, but that's not a big deal because October's historically been a very dead month. In, in America, it falls after the end of the summer blockbuster season, but before the Oscar bait season starts. Right, and it's sort okay. Of, but, but as movies have got bigger and the summer blockbuster season's got bigger, October's sort of really down just a part of, you know, part of summer, and it sort of gets the, <laughs> it gets the things well, we, know, we don't want to go up against all the blockbusters, but we think we're big, we'll go in October. Right. Um, before they're crowded out by the, uh, the Oscar bait films that are on their way. So, <laughs> yes, look, all, all credit to it, it broke the October box office. And it's also, and look, we were discussing this off mic beforehand, it's the fact that as well now there are like big worldwide opening weekends where it is it is built up that every cinema that's showing this will open it on this weekend. Mm. Everyone who wants to see it goes and sees it this weekend. You get a big spike compared to the yep. days where, and we were comparing it to Batman 89, where you know it would come to your local cinema at some point over a few month period. Yeah. And at some point you go and see it over summer. Was, was the cinema you went to, was it full? It was full. I went and saw it in a big cinema in, in the city, uh, right. The Friday night after it came out, so day after it came out, Friday night okay. after work, it was full. I went and saw it in a suburban cinema near near work, and admittedly, look, it was a Monday night, but the cinema I was in probably would have been, I, I don't think it was half full, whether, look, that's a Monday night thing or whether, look, the, the initial buzz had sort of died off a bit by then. It's going to be very interesting. The second week for any movie is always very telling in terms mm. of how word of, word of mouth goes. Stuff like sitcoms and rom-coms and buddy comedies tend to do very well in the second and third week because there isn't that fan impetus, I must see it this weekend, and mm. because there is that sort of word of mouth amongst you know young couples and families, hey, go see this movie, it's really funny, it's family-friendly, you'll like it. Yeah. Uh, so so how word of mouth and this, this plays out, whether people are saying, Joker's really good, you've got to go see it, or whether they're mm. saying, do wait for DVD or wait for Netflix. Yeah, it was interesting though, having said that, I mentioned at work that I was going to go and see it, and there was a lot of, oh, you have to tell me what it's like. I really want to know. And, and when I went into work the next day, it was, you know, was it worth it? 
Do I need to go and see it? What was it like? So there, there clearly was a real buzz around it, even if it maybe perhaps didn't quite translate to you know people sort of storming the cinema. Absolutely. I mean, in my office, there were definitely a couple of people who were like, look, I didn't see it on the opening weekend, but yeah. I'm going to see it this week. Hold the discussion. I want to see it fresh. All right. Well, we're going to get more into the Joker movie. So time to bring down the spoiler curtain. Yes. Welcome, Tom Holland. <laughs> well, it does have... Yeah, spoilers! <laughs> So, Richard, I've just got a number of sort of dot points to lead the discussion. You That's feel free fine. to throw some stuff in. Let's start with Phoenix as the Joker, because look, yep. I, I don't think it's a particularly insightful or fresh observation to say that he makes the movie, he's the star of the movie, his performance is totally involved, totally just just embodying the character physically, mentally. For sure. Uh, and I mean, he, I think, has got a record of saying, you know, even on the day they wrapped filming, he was still coming up with new ideas and things he could do. Yeah. You know, you know just the, 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 the way he's clearly starved himself to do it. And, and spent time working on mannerisms and working yeah. on movements and working on how he you know, composes himself in the scene. And that, I, I think, yeah, it is a great performance. It is, and he's an actor that's very much known for doing that. Mm. Even when you go back to some of the stuff he was doing for M. Night Shyamalan, because yeah, you know, oh, he, yeah. he, he was in Signs, he, that's right. he was the star of The Village. Really good mm. performances. I believe the Johnny Cash one he did. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Walk the Line. Walk the Line, yeah. No, very, very good. Um, and, and known for sort of embodying those sort and of those roles. those really sort of intense performances, yeah. How do you find him compared to other Jokers? Let's face it, this is a character that now has quite a pantheon. Yes. And, and inevitably it's going to be compared to the other Jokers. Um, Let's start by saying it's very different to Cesar Romero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In Batman 66. Yes, indeed. Where's Bruce Wayne? Mr. Wayne is not at home, sir. Too bad. I'll get my revenge later. Right now I'll settle for cash. Where's the safe? Look, that's fun in its own way. I am actually a bit of a fan of Batman 66. I, I love Batman 66. I do think by the time, perhaps, when you get to, um, what's the, the Surf's Up one where Joker and Batman have the surfing comp? Yes. Um, we're, we're probably scraping the barrel a bit, but... <laughs> but no, look, look. Cesar Romero's Joker, I think, is a wonderful performance. The actor is having a lot of fun. Yeah, most definitely. But it is a completely and different... And look, it suits the production. It, it does, but it's a completely different take on what they're trying to yeah. do in the films here. I was a bit of a fan of the animated series... Oh, okay. Um, so, I must admit, I am a big fan of Mark Hamill's Joker. I mean, admittedly, that's that's voice acting. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to admit, I haven't seen that. I am a big fan of Mark Hamill's take on the Joker. I also really, really like The Dark Knight, so Heath Ledger's Joker probably really hit for me as well. That's a different take, really, than this. That that was certainly my takeaway. It, it's, it's certainly nowhere near as intense. This is a very intense portrayal. Yes, they are showing almost different characters. Mm. The the Joker in Dark Knight, played very, very well by Heath Ledger, is an established bad guy. Not established yep. per se in Batman's life, but clearly this is a yep. guy who has done stuff in other cities. He's got a past. He arrives established as the Joker. Yes. And he really has an objective, which is just to burn everything down. Yeah. And this is a very different performance. This is not even approaching that sort of level of establishment no uh, it's, it's, so it's good like that I, I like Jack Nicholson's performance but he's doing a performance for 9.99 and it's a different different world true and, and I suppose you can say in some ways he's probably doing Jack Nicholson but 
I mean, I certainly enjoy Batman '89. Oh yeah, likewise, likewise. The obvious, probably loser in the conversation is going to be Jared Leto. Now you've got to funny feel, that, but you've, yeah, you've, go on. you've got to feel for this guy because, like, imagine the last sort of twelve months of his life, which has sort of been his age and Now, um, good news—they're making a solo Joker movie. Unfortunately, you won't be playing the Joker. Well, I have seen that meme, which was, you know, when they pitched the Joker movie, what is it? Just make people forget about Jared Leto. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't care what you do. Um, but but if that wasn't bad enough, then it's, there's the announcement they're going to do a Suicide Squad 2, but the premise is, screw the Joker, when, you know, let's forget about the Joker. I did see Suicide Squad. It's safe to say, look, like a lot of people, I didn't get a lot out of it. I don't think the Joker wrecked it or that it was because of the Joker. There is a lot more wrong with that movie. No, that was a bad movie well before the Joker was Oh, there. God, yes. Yeah. But but neither did he lift it. No, not at all. But then again, look, there are those stories that, look, he, there's a heap more that he filmed that was cut. I didn't think actually what he did do in the movie really contributed anything, to be honest. You didn't need him in that movie. No. So, look. I mean, I mean, I think Phoenix has I many realities. He has eclipsed Leto. Mm. Uh, whether Leto comes back in another form, I don't know. I'm interested if they have a good take to do it. I like the misdirect on the family because one of the good things about this being a completely new take is when they brought in the whole he's Thomas Wayne's bastard son, mm. you genuinely don't know is is that like a whole twist on the legacy they're going to do yep. or you know not true. Arguably, you don't know at the end of the movie. No, well, that's true. I mean, it could just be a case, as his mother says, look, that, you know, he's got the power and the influence to actually just invent all this stuff just to get her out of the picture. Yeah, if he wants the birth certificate changed, he can bung some poor, mm. you know, public servant 100 bucks and the birth certificate gets yep. changed. So, yeah, look, whether there's a plan to do anything like that or whether it's being deliberately left obscure, that's what the filmmaker's going for. I don't know, but that was an interesting take. Uh, a couple of little references I noted down here. There were some allusions, including a very clear one, to John Wayne Gacy, mm-hmm. who was a serial killer in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Yes. He was known as the clown killer because one of his hobbies in his spare time was he would put on clown yeah, makeup and kids parties, go yep. around to parties, do uh, hospitals and all the rest of that. Yep. Uh, one of the things that's... If you, if you read anything about Gacy and, and, and the, the clown character, they talk about how he did the makeup completely wrong and when you do traditional clown makeup for example the red lips are all soft and rounded because mm. you want these soft shapes that are friendly to kids yeah gacy did the big pointy smile which is what the joker does yes. here okay at one point phoenix actually walks past a poster that advertises pogo the clown which was the name of gacy's clown character there you go so oh, i didn't say that there yeah you go. that was a very deliberate surely oh, reference to, yeah to, to gacy's character there Final point for me on this is, do we actually know the truth about the Joker out of this movie? Let me give you an example while you're thinking about it. When he pulls out the cards that say, I have this condition, all the rest of that, is that genuine? He has that condition and this is a part of his life? Or is it all part of, this is a scheming, evil guy who is creating this character and that's all part of the way that he deceives the world? and gets himself where he wants to be. I think certainly initially, just just starting with the laugh, I think initially, look, that is a psychological thing because there are scenes there, you know, where he sees people, other people being hurt or other people in distress and he can't help himself. And clearly it is affecting him. He doesn't want to laugh. He just, he can't help himself. I do think probably by the end of the movie, he's just decided to just let that wash over him. That's now just part of who he is. So there's probably a transition there you see i think you're probably right but i would be equally convinced if 
he just was laughing at the suffering of others. He knows he's not meant to, so that, that's his cover. Yeah, okay. But he's always been this sort of psychotic creature. Yes. From okay. the start. Okay. I think you can read it both ways. In terms of his backstory, well, I think given when this is set and that Bruce Wayne is obviously only a child, I think that the inference a lot of people have drawn, and I must admit I was leaning towards it myself, is this probably isn't the Joker. It's maybe the guy who gives Heath Ledger's Joker or another Joker somewhere in his clown army there is the guy who maybe is inspired and steps up. So I was going to talk about this later, but we'll talk about it now because you oh. brought it up. And it's a, no, no, it's a good point. I kind of agree. I struggle to see this Joker sort of going on and becoming that Batman arch nemesis that the Heath Ledger Warden was. Yes. And I'm fine with that. Like As a one-off interpretation of a character called Joker yep. in this world, I think it's really, really good. I don't need it to be connected. To no, the rest of the world. The, the traditional Joker story, obviously, is that he's wearing the red hood and he gets chased through the chemical factory and he falls into the vat of chemicals. The Jack Nicholson one. Yes, and, and indeed, that's a lot of the ones in the comic. I, I probably was leaning towards that this is maybe a Joker, but not that Joker. The definite article, you might say. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Perhaps. I guess, then again, if you move between different takes and different universes, for want of a better term, look, there, there's probably scope for all of them to exist at some point. That is, and that's a point I want to return to later on in the podcast. I want to turn now, though, to the use of violence in the film, which I think was very effective, not because of the violence itself per se. Look, you and I, we've seen R-rated movies, we've, mm. we've seen violence, we've seen blood, guts and gore. There was no sort of amazing moment in terms of the physicality of that. No. But what I think was very effective is that I genuinely, by halfway through the movie, I did not know which way the Joker would go in any given moment. Mm. The example I'm going to use is where he has his ex-workmates, Gary and Randall. That actually was the one I was thinking yeah, of too. Over yeah. to his flat. And there's the bit where you see him grab, I think it's the screwdriver. Yeah. And at that moment, I don't know, is he grabbing the screwdriver and it's going to be, he's going to kill them both? Yeah. He's going to kill one of them? Or is it going to subvert our expectations because he doesn't kill them? Mm. I genuinely could not predict which way the movie would go. And there is that movie then when he does stab Randall. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't come from nowhere because you've seen the screwdriver, but it is a moment of, wow, he's, he's done it. Yeah. And, and the moment I can most remember in the, the audience reaction is that moment where Gary, he says, Gary, it's fine, you can leave. And Gary goes and he can't unlock the door. Yeah. And the whole audience is just like, <gasps> yeah, because they're oh, like, oh, now you can't leave. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's just like, we generally don't know what's going to happen. What's going to yeah. happen. That is more effective than any amount of, you know, blood and guts. Yeah. And then he opens the door for him. And I think he actually calls him back, doesn't he? And then sort of wishes him well and kisses him on the top of the head. And then yeah. saying, you know, I wonder, is he actually going to, oh, sucked in, stab. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, 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 it could have been either way. Yeah. And it was really effective. So, I think that use of violence is far more effective. Yeah. So we'll move on then to the role of the Wayne family. This, to me, was probably the biggest surprise of the movie. I yep. had heard a little bit of buzz. Someone had said, look, it doesn't directly link with the Nolan films, but there's a bit of a link in there, and you can if you mm -hmm. want to see it. It's there. Yeah. I hadn't been expecting, though, that Thomas Wayne was going to be an overt character throughout the film. Mm. I certainly hadn't expected that we were going to meet Bruce Wayne. No. Uh, let alone as a, a, a young child. child. yeah. What did you make of the characterisations there? Well, first of all, did it surprise you? And secondly, what did you make of it? It, it did surprise me. Certainly seeing Batman and, and seeing Alfred and whatever, and, you know, he turns up at their house, and that, that really did surprise me. It was a very good scene, that one. It was. In terms of Thomas Wayne, 
look, he is very much set up as the antagonist because you don't really see much of it through anybody else. He really is there to represent all that's wrong with Gotham. Yep. You know, he sees himself as being the elite. He calls them all clowns, you know, because they're too useless to make anything of themselves and that's why they're poor. And, he, he lives in a life that is completely yes. detached from the reality for most people. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, it's their fault that they haven't made anything of themselves. Yeah, so you have that. He obviously then, he's quite violent towards Arthur. It's not a case of, look, you need help. It, it is really just get the away from me and my family. Yes. You know, you're talking a pack of lies, just just get away from us. That said, if you had somebody who was looking and acting like Arthur Fleck was, yep. suddenly confront you in the bathroom oh, for, of the opera, sure. and, and who had grabbed your kid by the scruff of the neck, yep. you would probably smash him as in, well. Indeed. He's also on the other side, though, he says, you know, he's the only man who can save Gotham. When Arthur kills the three drunk blokes on the train, you know, he does that, it's a real sort of hypocritical thing, you know, oh, Wayne Enterprises, we're a family and stuff. And then the next breath he says, I never actually met any of them personally. Yeah. But, you know, they were all uh, fine, upstanding young people. Well, they, they need Sondheim, so they had something going for them. <laughs> yeah. I was very surprised by their appearance. I was very interested in the way that Thomas Wayne mm. was portrayed as somebody who's not immersed in the Batman lore outside of the movies. Mm. That's a character I really had no knowledge of, so it was quite interesting for me. I was actually surprised most of all at how the scene of the Wayne family, or the, the, Thomas and Martha. Ma- I, I know the name's Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Her name's Martha too? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, Thomas yes. and Martha, the way that they were killed was overtly referencing and dovetailing into the Nolan films. Mm. That was very interesting to me. Does it need to be linked into the Batman world? though? Like, I like this idea of this just being a standalone idea, mm. sort, of, sort of being to Batman what the Cushing films are to Doctor Who. Just, yep. just a nice idea, let's explore this character and then we'll go home. Yeah. I, I think that works. I don't need this to be linked in. Some people have speculated that Phoenix's Joker will you know, go away, he'll develop, and when he comes back in 10 years' time, he'll be right on cue for Robert Patterson's Batman and mm. meet him. I don't need that. I don't want that. I don't see that either, to be honest. I don't need it. And I don't actually see it, to be honest. But No, so look, I, yeah. I was surprised by the way it was linked in. I hope it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I think probably just with the Thomas Wayne thing, and this, this maybe is one of the criticisms I did have. You really only have Thomas Wayne probably personifying exactly what's wrong with Gotham. You don't see a lot of the rest of it. Because Gotham being corrupt and decadent is part of the Batman oeuvre, if you like. One thing I also didn't really get from the movie, you see what living in Gotham means for Arthur Fleck. You don't really see what it's like for other people. I mean, yes, you see all the people who come out, we're all clowns and, you know, we're sick of being told we're we're second-class citizens. But... You don't really see it to an extent. No, I would contrast that with V for Vendetta, mm. which I know hardcore fans of the comic sort of look down on the movie and all the rest of that, well, and, yep. and that's fine, I get that. Yep. I think that's a very good movie, and one of the reasons is you do see how this regime, the John Hurt's regime, yeah. actually impacts on people. You know, even even you know that, that wonderful, well, spoilers for a movie that's about 15 years old now, but, but, you know, that bit where even Stephen Fry's like, I'm, I'm too well-known, I'm too popular for the regime to get me. He can be secretly gay and indulge all that. Mm. And actually, no, they come for him. Yep. You know, that, that's a moment where you go, okay, this is a very 
strong yeah. enough impression. That you're right, that doesn't exist here. No, I mean we get a few references to it. Look, we see the garbage and that piling up in the streets, and clearly nobody cares. You know, you have the bit with the social worker where she says her funding's been cut. Yeah. You know, and Gotham doesn't give a shit about you. And even to the extent that now no one's even bothered to follow up, like how does someone like him get his medication? No, and this is the point that I was going to make. If there's any real world lessons that I, as an audience member, took from this. It wasn't about the world so much in the crush because I, because I saw that as a comic book world. Mm. But the way that we, as a society, and me as an individual, have not cared enough about the mentally ill. Mm. Uh, you know, I know here in Melbourne, you know, we institutionalised them for many decades, and that was rife with abuse and and neglect. Yep. And when we realised just how bad that was, we. Uh, said these people should be equal and, and trusted yep. by the society and that means they're not getting the care and the attention that they need mm. and, 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 and both of them have been out of sight, out of mind yeah. solutions and the one really big thing I took out of this was have I as a citizen not cared enough about the mentally ill and, 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 and people mm. like Arthur Fleck and, and I think that is a very important take out I think more so than any of the geopolitical stuff that yeah. perhaps people have been reading into it I'll move on, because we don't want this to be a too long a discussion. So the final big aspect of the movie that I want to discuss is not the final scene per se, but the, I guess, penultimate scene, which is the big confrontation, if you like, between Arthur and Murray Franklin on yep. the Murray Franklin okay, yeah, show. show. Yep. Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? First of all, I think, can we just agree, Robert De Niro is... Excellent, as always. Yes. Once again, this scene worked because when he walked in, you knew something would happen, but I genuinely didn't know where this was going to go. No, I I actually got the impression there that I don't think the Joker just... That's a snap decision because he has that moment where he looks at the thing in the book and then it's sort of like, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm actually going to kill him. Yeah, I didn't get this as being some sort of grand master plan at all. No, not at all. It is either genuinely watching a guy finally snap on live television. Yep. Or it is the accumulation of a guy who has made the decision long ago that he is going to burn society, mm. and this is how he's going to do it. But but you're right, the details of it, it's, it's not a grand master plan. No, it's not. He it's a snap decision. It, it is. And it's more powerful for that. I think the way that De Niro plays it is that it's exactly the right balance of genuine revulsion, mm. but also condescension. Yep. And that's the balance that, on the one hand, as an audience member, you're going, well, Franklin is right to condemn this man for murdering mm. people and encouraging the murder and laughing at it. He's right. But there's also a very sanctimonious and I'm better than you yes. tone that comes in. But particularly considering he's coming from the position, let's face it, he got him on there to make fun of him. Correct. Um, and he's gone, obviously, made fun of him previously. So, yeah. Yeah. On the one hand, you can denounce... Franklin for basically doing what a lot of reality shows do, which is you, you find people who are struggling in life or maybe not yep. self-aware, and you just put them up for lampooning. Exactly. Which, which yep. is a very big part of society now. Yep. But on the other, that's not an excuse to kill him. No. No. <laughs> what makes it a little bit more uncomfortable, though, and certainly I found, is if, like me, you remember watching Joaquin Phoenix on Letterman about 10 years ago. Oh yes, yes, that's right. Yes, when he and it was just it was all a big yeah, that's right. Yes, uh, now, whatever movie it was he had at the time. I, I actually, particularly in my twenties, was a big Letterman fan. Yep. And, and and if I was home and the late show was on, I would watch yes, it. Yes, on so I did watch a fair bit of Letterman as well. And yep. and I actually remember watching live that Joaquin Phoenix 
right. interview where, for those who aren't aware of it, it is on YouTube. Joaquin Phoenix comes out uh, just after um, one of his movies is out. Letterman has no idea what's going on, but Phoenix comes out. He's got like a completely unshaven, just disheveled beard. He's wearing the dark glasses. He's chewing gum. He gives monosyllabic and non-responses to Letterman. There's one point where Letterman's trying to talk to him. He's just like trying to hide his gum under the desk. And look, I'll, I'll drop in a couple of clips here now because it is actually yeah. very interesting. Three years since the last time you were on the show, and I will just say right off the top here, you look different than I remember. <laughs> You've got a, a, a nice beard going. and uh, Oh, yeah, thank yeah. you. How is that, the beard? In my way. Well, is it comfortable? Is it itchy? Is it, uh, are you pleased with it? I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about, about it. I'm sorry, I'm making you feel weird about it? Is there something wrong? I can't be the first one to make you feel weird about it. Uh, I failed to mention, also in the film is Isabella Rossellini, who plays, uh, oddly enough, your mother. She's just uh, tremendous. And you know about her, her, her mother, uh, what, a, what a wonderful, beautiful actress uh, she was as well. So that must have been fun working with Isabella Rossellini, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. I did, yeah. Do you have any, any fun stories to tell us? I mean... <clears throat> no, no fun stories? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's something fun happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you go. It's called True Lovers. <clears throat> it's a lovely film, really. <clears throat> and, uh, Joaquin, I'm sorry you couldn't be here tonight. And what's interesting is the way that Letterman, who clearly was, like, we know now for sure he was not in on No, he wasn't in on the joke. No. Is the way that Letterman's like, well, I've got to make this last 10 minutes, so I'm going to do that by basically ridiculing you. He's hilarious in doing it. Like, you see the Letterman wit come out. Yeah. And some of those lines we just heard, you know, that, that's very much. But I don't know whether this was in Philip's mind when he put it together, but the, uh, the comparisons there were really quite mm. creepy for me. We then get to the ending of the movie, which, again... If there's any part I struggled with, it's probably the ending. Yeah. I think it was a little bit too convenient. I think the way that the clown sort of rose was a little bit too orchestrated for a spontaneous thing, particularly the one that manages to steal the ambulance, take out the right cop car at the yeah. right place. It was the ending a movie has to have. It is a movie. It, it is. It did cross my mind for a moment that that's just another one of his hallucinations, but I, I, I don't think it is. And, and that's the final part as well, where we get that interview with him in the psychiatric hospital. Yep. Yeah. It's implied that that is after he's been arrested, arrested or, or something, or whatever. Yep. And then it's implied that he somehow gets away, and murders the yes, because he's got the blood footprint. Yeah. But that does leave you to wonder if the whole movie is just the fantasies of a deranged man. Mm. I like the ambiguity of that, and one of the reasons why I don't want a sequel is because any, any sequel would have to answer the question: Yes, was this a reality or not? Mm. That, I guess, brings us to the, the final thing we talk about in all our discussions, which is, what does this mean for the rest of cinema? One thing I don't want it to mean is, I don't want this to be a cinema-changing movie. One of the worst things that's happened to 
comic book movies in the last 20 years is that there'll be a really successful movie that everything tries to ape for mm-hmm. about three years. When the first X-Men movie came out, everyone tried to ape that. A some successful, now, a little while ago now, some <laughs> successfully, some not. Then, for example, when Nolan's first Batman movie came out, yep. suddenly everything had to be Nolan style, everything had to be dark, yeah. and that led to a run of some really bad movies that just shouldn't have been that. Look, I look at just terrible Superman movies that were trying to do Nolan with a character that just isn't a Nolan character. Arguably, the Andrew Garfield movies are just trying too hard to be dark when yeah. Spider-Man, as we've seen with both Tom Holland and Tobey Maguire... He's not, he's not really a dark character. No, he, it's no. a fun character. He's a kid. Yeah. yeah. Then, then we get Deadpool... And yes. suddenly everything has to be like really messed up and R-rated. Yep. And, and, and again, you get just movies that just shouldn't be. I think that the best thing for comic book movies now, particularly for DC, which has just had no luck creating a universe... No, Wonder Woman's probably the only one I, I think that hit. And look, I didn't mind uh, Aquaman. I thought that was fun. If you just let Aquaman wash over you and just went with it... Pun the pun. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Look, absolutely. And I think Aquaman also points that direction. If they just say, right... Here's a character, here's the character in a movie, we've got the right director for the character, we've got yep. the right tone for this character, and just makes a good movie, then you can make a lot of movies. You can have a yeah. fun movie like Aquaman. Or just Shazam. Shazam, really fun movie we yeah. both enjoyed. Or you can go and do a messed up Joker movie. Go and just make the movie that the director wants to make. Uh, one thing that Marvel's done very well is they've said, right, we've got Taika Waititi, we're going to give him a Thor film, and we're just going to let him do the movie he wants to do. And then you go and get James Gunn doing Guardian of the Galaxies, and it's a completely different style tone, yeah. but it suits those characters, and it's that movie. That's what I kind of hope happens from here. Any more thoughts on that, Richard? Is it true that uh, I think now Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix have both sort of indicated they would be open to the idea of a sequel? If, they, if I, I think it was if they found the right idea and the right script. But Yeah, I don't know whether that's just sort of press circuit comment, yeah. or whether they really mean that. I, I know that... Phoenix basically had to be dragged kicking and screaming into this and, and really be told, no, it's not your standard comic book No, movie. that's the thing. It was sold to him as this is a one-off. You can get a real character piece and, yeah. And, 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 and let's face it, if you didn't make this guy Arthur Fleck the Joker, just made him John Smith the Fullster, you could have done a $5 million indie movie yeah. and it would have been just as good. Mm. It wouldn't have been seen by nearly as many people. No. But... This this could just be its own movie. It doesn't mm. have to be a Joker movie. And that's what attracted Phoenix. And I don't know that he would want to go down the path of a a franchise. No. The, the only reason I raise that is because I have seen some stuff with him recently. And you're right, look, maybe it is just press circuit stuff where he did indicate that, look, he enjoyed doing it and he enjoyed the challenge of doing it and that he would be open to the other one if the right set of circumstances happened. Yeah, look... Uh, any movie that's going to make half a billion dollars or more, mm. the question's going to be asked, can we have another one, please? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You can drive a dump truck full of money up to his house, basically. <laughs> that, that's right. And, and you know, whether, whether Phoenix is sort of one of the few actors left that would turn the dump truck down, mm. I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to, to see. And I guess, you know, the real $6 million question now is, what will Robert Pattinson's Batman, Batman like. movie look like? Yeah. And I have no idea, and I'm, I hope it's a new and different take. Mm-hmm. I kind of hope Robin's in it personally. But... <laughs> <laughs> Although I do believe um, Burt Ward is back in the uh, in the DC TV yes, universe to play is, Robin. Actually, so... Yes, I think he's coming back one last time. I one think. last time, so that'll be exciting. Yeah. Richard, we've had a long talk about the Joker movie, but I've, I've really enjoyed this. I think we've 
hopefully got a lot out of it. Listeners, audience, I hope you have as well. So I think the next big genre film that's out is Star Wars Episode Nine. I think it is. I think it's fair to say the Doctor Who show will be doing some sort of discussion about that. I haven't <laughs> spoken to Rob about, about that. I know Rob and I did one on Episode Eight, but uh, it was yep. you and I that did Solo. So Yes. Oh, I'll definitely be down for that because I think uh, look, I think we'll do midnight one more time. Put it this way: well, you and I are seeing the movie at midnight, so <laughs> we will see it. We will, we will, we will have some sort of discussion. Uh, next on the Doctor Who show is though going to be our monthly episode for October, which after our poll of the listeners, where we got well over a hundred votes, right, we are going to be talking about John Pertwee's era. Ah, nice. So we're going to have a lot of fun doing that. But until then, I've been Dave. I'm Richard, and we'll speak again soon. You've been listening to Alternate Galaxies, the podcast where Rob and Dave from the Doctor Who show take a look at other great sci-fi and fantasy that we think Doctor Who fans might like. You can reach us at hello at the dwshow.net, on Twitter at the dwshow, or on Facebook forward slash the dwshow. Alternate Galaxies is an irregular podcast, so stay tuned to the Doctor Who show and other programs on our feed to know when the next episode's coming. Our theme music is called Wretched Destroyer and is by Kevin McLeod. Find him at incompetech.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.